This is Fortress on a Hill. Thank you for joining us. I'm Henry. And I'm Danny. We're here to tear apart recent stories about our nation's armed forces and our veterans. We hope you'll take a critical look at what's happening with our military. And we hope you enjoy the show. Now, let's get started. I'm going to start a, uh, this, this is my new segment for today, Danny. You have, uh, <clears throat> you had yours, so I had to pick one for me. Uh, this is Recent Events in American Militarism. <laughs> now, first here we have a piece by um, Peter Moss at The Intercept, where he discusses the most recent addition to our great American collection of glorious military films. It's the movie 12 Strong, starring Chris Hemsworth. Peter discusses a recent piece he enjoyed uh, discussing a cha- uh, discusses a recent piece he enjoyed discussing a changing wind in making films due to the Me Too movement, and he believes another genre is right to be included. It's the Jerry Bruckheimer genre, the Michael Bay's and the John Woo's of the world. Uh, all right, here for, here's this from Peter, produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, which brought us Black Hawk Down. 12 Strong is an extravaganza about a special forces team that fought the Taliban in Afghanistan in the weeks and months following 9-11. During the movie's pivotal scene, the leader of the Green Berets, played by Chris Hemsworth, the grievously grievously handsome star of the Thor franchise, decimates a hive of Taliban fighters with his rifle ablaze as he gallops ahead on his fearless horse. Yes, he's riding a horse. In the same way that Hemsworth's assault weapon goes rat-a-tat-tat and the bad guys fall like bulleted dominoes, the scene itself checks off one born-in-Hollywood cliché after another of the rugged gunslinger, the warrior in camo, good versus evil, the modern vanquishing the profane, a man at his fullest. Now, I don't plan to go point for point through this, uh, but there there was one thing here that... uh, really kind of blew my mind. I don't, I don't watch many war films these days, but here, check this out. Now, while 12 Strong is, is marketed as a true story based on a nonfiction book by Doug Stanton, there's nothing in Stanton's book that resembles the climatic scene of Hemsworth bravely shooting his way on horseback through a gauntlet of waiting for paradise Taliban soldiers. There is one passage in the book in which the Special Forces soldier who's portrayed by Hemsworth rides his horse into the corpse-strewn aftermath of a battle, but the fighting and dying are over by then. When I asked the film's public relations team about this difference, they sent me the following statement from Stanton. This scene is an amalgamation of the horse Taliban and in which the American horse soldiers themselves observe and assisted. But as it appears in the movie, the same scene does not appear in my book. This is propaganda, folks. It is. It really is. I remember reading about the huge, huge differences um, for Black Hawk Down between the author's actual portrayal of the events and what actually came up in the movie. Um, and, and it is. It, it, it tries to show us stronger than we are and more than anything else as more righteous than we are. That we deserve to be killing these people, to be taking what we think is theirs, that it's it's ours. It's 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 more neo, more neoliberalism, but still it's it's yeah, it's just nasty. I'm not a fan of most war films either. I'm still waiting for the platoon of our generation. 
of course, I'm referring to the 1986 Best Picture Oliver Stone movie. And what what I mean, and Oliver Stone's gone off the rails on a number of occasions since then. So, like, I get it. Like, I get the Oliver Stone hate. But uh, where's, like, the first nuanced anti-war type movie for our generation? I'm not saying every movie has to be like that, but there, like, hasn't really been one. Even The Hurt Locker, which won Best Picture, was A – grievously inaccurate as to what EOD guys really do. Like they don't do like sniper operations and raids and like taking down bombs, like while blazing away at the enemy. Like that's just not like the EOD. It does a disservice to them because they're like really brave, but not in the ways it was depicted in that movie, uh, which just bothered me. And, and movies like Fall of Strong, which I haven't seen yet, but I, I know what it's going to be. I've read the reviews. You know, you, you've brought up some really great points. Look, it's a hero drama and there's a place for exciting action hero dramas. But there's also a place for reflective, nuanced films about the the human condition and the nature of war and what it does to people and the gray areas between whether it's right to fight or wrong. None of those moral stories, none of those like human interest stories that get into the psyche of the veteran have really been told. I, I did see Thanks for Your Service or Thank You for Service, whatever it was called. Um, and that did a pretty good job in the sense that it wasn't really a combat movie. It was more about... Uh, mental health after coming back from, you know, coming back from war deal to VA. I thought it did a pretty good job. And that was based on a book as well by David Finkel. Uh, for the most part, most of these movies have been like yarns. They're just propagandistic yarns. The story of that A team, which did in fact ride on horseback with the Taliban, is a story worth telling. Absolutely. It's such a story worth telling that. It doesn't require embellishment like firing an M4 from a horse into a cave or whatever because, like, it just does a disservice to those guys. A more interesting story is how did, you know, this team come to be in Afghanistan? Explain to me the the difficulty of the mission and how they had to give a lot of cash and suitcases to people. They also did some brave stuff, but they did some kind of some, some kind of morally gray things because we needed to get a foothold in Afghanistan. Like that's a more interesting story. I don't understand these films. I'll tell you, I think part of it is what I've called in the past military worship and it's dangerous. If the American society went too far in one direction after Vietnam and was cruel to veterans or not thankful to veterans. That's wrong. I think a lot of that's been overemphasized, but it's wrong. Where it happened is wrong. But we've gone like in the other direction. You can't say a single thing critical about a soldier. And if a soldier does it, it's automatically right. And and these movies, they're like, they fawn and they adulate. And in the process, they suck the human element right out of these stories. And they turn them into Marvel characters. Shit, even Marvel movies have more nuance than most of these stories all right you know i'm not even a huge fan of them but i can admit that some of those movies are pretty good you know they're pretty solid and movies like this they are propaganda i totally agree with you hey oliver stone if you're listening uh i wrote this book i heard it's really good uh i could definitely sell you a script (laughs) i mean we definitely need the platoon of our generation i would never pretend that i'm capable of writing it but we need to uh we need to see it at least once at least once yeah, I'm still looking for it too. I did. Who knows? All right, moving along in our adventures in militarism here, uh, we're going to talk about uh, all the military members who went to the State of the Union. And this is from Leo Shane III at Military Times. 
15 different troops attended the State of the Union from uh, various leaders. Actually, I take that back. I wrote this. Among them was an Army Staff Sergeant who saved a comrade's life who was severely injured by an IED blast, a retired Marine Corporal who lost both his legs and eyesight from an IED attack in 2007, and despite that, still re-enlisted in 2010. There is a Coast Guard avionics technician who was credited with help save, saving dozens of people during last year's hurricane season, an Army Staff Sergeant who was transgender and expressed concern about not being able to serve openly given President Trump's stance on the matter, and finally, the first African-American uh, female first captain in the West Point Corps of Cadets. Did I say that right, Danny? Yep. So okay. she was my student, Simone Askew. Yep, uh, that's her. That's her. I could talk about her. That She's like the coolest girl ever, but I, but I still think I know where your point's going, and I agree. Go ahead. So anyways, so notice I, I, I didn't mention any of the politicians that brought any of these people, and I don't particularly care. Um they're just tokens they're, they're they've turned these people into tokens that they can carry with them and it's like coins guys i mean we we, we get coins at different times from a sergeant major that's what it is but they're worth they're it totally dehumanizes them there's there's it, it's just a piece it ends up being a piece of fucking metal and i wrote a i wrote a blog post post for our uh, our patreon stuff if you guys uh if you become a contributor you can go take a look but i'll give you a little preview here and i was talking about a recent discussion i had with my grandfather about medals and who could get awarded to and i won't tell you much more not to give it away but let's just say that my world war ii veteran grandfather was pretty upset when he when i told him the truth about that and if you're a civilian and you don't know what i'm talking about Please come contribute. Take a read. Take it's really worth your time. I I I I, uh, I really enjoyed writing it. Um. But yeah, no, I I, I can't reemphasize that enough. You know, I, I um, do you remember you remember the cheap? Or I don't know that they were cheaply made, but remember the cheap coins that we could buy from the different Haji Marts. You know, sometimes yeah. they'd have NFL ones, and they'd have Major League Baseball, and sometimes they'd have uh, superheroes. I think I got a couple uh, Marvel ones hidden somewhere. But you could buy them over there for cheap, super cheap. I don't remember exactly how much they were, but they weren't very expensive. I bought my dad a Rams one and brought it home to him. Um, don't let politicians do this, guys. Don't, you know, the, the veterans, service members should not be props. It, it, it's but they just, are fucking gross but but they are they are and this right here that's what this was is you can't say it was anything other than using them for their own political benefit yeah it's a it's a parade it's a partisan it's a paltry partisan political parade uh it sucks the nuance and it sucks the life right out of them again just like those movies give you one example and i think simone should speak for herself but you know Here's what you don't get when they just parade people in front of the cameras and say, look, look, more soldiers. Look how lovely. Look, we're obviously we're the more patriotic party or we're the more patriotic candidate because we have nine soldiers. It was like during the election when Hillary had like 55 generals like signed a letter saying they supported her, but like 54 generals signed a letter saying they supported Trump. It's like, what does it all mean? You know what I mean? What, we just counting stars? Like, is that that's what it seems like after a while. Oh, this guy is missing a leg. Yeah, put him in the cameras. I mean, fuck him afterwards, but at least during this show, we'll parade him. <laughs> Funny I should say parade, uh, since I think we're going to talk about that. But uh, it's ridiculous. You know, two things real quick, and then I'll kind of let it go. Number one, 
Simone Askew, who was the first African-American first captain at West Point, was my student. She was my student. Uh, she's my friend. I mean, she watched my kids. Okay. She's a senior at West Point right now. She is phenomenal. I'm talking character, competence, intelligence. She is all of it. And the thing is, you lose that when you just parade her and say, look, first African-American woman. She's so much more than that. She's a critical thinker who is a history major at West Point who went to Vietnam on a trip that she chose to go to, who has some really complex views that I'll let her speak on. But she's a critical thinker and, and she dissents when it's appropriate. She's not just the first captain of West Point. She's not just a political prop. She's a complicated woman who is going to do great things and who has already done great things. And I just I can't stand to see people like that used as, like you said, political props. But that's what the State of the Union is now. It is. I mean, it's what it is. It's, it's hey, you know what? I don't have any actual prudent arguments to make. So what I'll do is uh, I'll put a war widow in the, ba in the balcony and I'll have everyone clap for her. It's gross. It's gross. This soldier worship and this veteran worship and this militarism, because that's all it is. It's, it's martial pageantry. And uh, it's wrong. You're right. It's tokenism. It's like, well, I don't really know any vets, but here's my vet friend that I brought for the occasion. You know, it's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yep, we need to let need to let veterans speak for themselves, which is why we started this podcast, guys. All right, so we're gonna do something kind of new today. Not sure how well it's gonna turn out, but we're gonna give it a try. We're gonna do start something that's called the five minute rant, and. I have a timer set here on my phone, and so for five minutes, Danny and I are going to talk about a topic. And I'll tell you a topic just in a second. I just want to let you know how it goes. And our, our only aim is this, is to thoroughly explain it and cuss a little bit in under five minutes, or as little, little time as it takes. So today's topic is us having a grand military parade down Constitution Avenue. Five minutes. Well, I've certainly... Published one article as of now, one more article tomorrow. I knew this was a fucking crazy thing when I started getting emails from some of the different outlets I write for. And they were like, Danny, do you want to take this one on? Because they know me well enough to know that I was just going to lose my shit. I had a text message on my phone when I woke up the morning after this was announced from my friend Josh. And it said, seriously, you've got to be kidding me. And it's a link to the article from the Washington Post. Well, the only thing I've got to say about it, Henry, is uh, I didn't know you and I lived in North Korea, but <laughs> apparently we do uh, yep. because uh, Trump's uh, doppelganger, uh, Kim Jong-un, would be really proud of a martial display of missiles and tanks going down Constitution Avenue. Uh, really? Is that the country we are? Are we that insecure that, that we're going to start measuring our missiles against North Korean ones? It, Trump goes to a parade in France, and he really likes their military show, so he's like, hey, I want that. Why don't I have that? This isn't about honoring the veterans. This is about showing the veterans off for his own narcissism. It's, it's him being like, look, my button's bigger than yours. My dick is bigger than yours. My army's bigger than yours. It's absolutely unbelievable. I said in one of the articles I wrote, I said this. The guy doesn't even have a military strategy, but he likes spectacle. Spectacle, not strategy. You know, pageantry, not prudence. He's not about that. Complicated shit. Like where should we be in the Middle East and how should we organize our military in order to meet the threats? Not interested. Not his game. What he does want to see is some Abrams tanks with American flags hanging out the back, 
rolling down through a ticker tape parade. It, it demeans us, it demeans our service, and it is so transparent. I swear, I just hope that the majority of Americans can see through it. Tag out. You know, I, uh, the, one of the first thoughts I had, um, I, I, just, I was just kind of going through it mentally, and I thought to myself, what if just one of those Abrams drivers was to stop his tank, turn it off, and just get out? In the middle of the parade. Hero. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not, I, I, I'm not saying anybody should, should do that because Lord knows what the UCMJ would get thrown on them for, for that. Yeah. And um, for inside. Yeah. 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 Don't, uh, don't do that, guys. It's just an idea. But $26 million, That's what they're estimating for this parade. $26 million. And you can find an assortment of articles online right now that will break that down for you in terms of how many cars people could buy, how many new schools we could build, all that, all that kind of stuff. And it's, it, it's a little bit worth reading to really see that. But I want to tell you about a real specific human cost to this. I don't know how many troops they're talking about doing this with, but I, how many are they going to pull from their units or bring entire units to do this? How many, I mean, and again, he wants a big grand parade, so I'm thinking big. You get guys that have come off deployment, guys that have leave now canceled because they have to go to this stupid parade. And then you have the preparation, all the drills, all the time spent to make sure everybody knows their place and everybody's going to do it right. And then we're going to do it 19 more times than anybody needed. But that's the military. And that's the reason we're good in combat. Not necessarily good for parade time. But I'm just thinking about all those guys, all the lost sleep, all the time not spent with family for a, a fucking boner pill show for our president essentially that's what i i i know that sounded kind of stupid but yeah i'm it's that's all we're doing we're we're just stroking the man's ego it's unbelievable you, you mentioned the logistics of it uh i was reading about how if he wants tanks and he wants to use the active duty force that means he's got to pull soldiers from the nearest active duty armored brigade you know where that is Fort Stewart, Georgia. Gonna, <laughs> what are we going to do? I mean, you're going to have to put. Do you have to put the tanks onto trains? Look, we've yep. all done this going on yep. deployment. What's the next closest? Fort Riley, Kansas. Shit, I live closer than that, and I live fucking an hour to the east of it. It's crazy. Yep. It's absolutely crazy. And, and one more thing. What are we celebrating, guys? What are we celebrating? Which victory? We did this in June of 1991 after we won a legitimate victory, and then went home after the Gulf War. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. I, I count like. Three losses and seven draws. I'm not saying that the soldiers don't deserve credit for that. They do because they've, they've fought hard in horrible circumstances. But we haven't won anything. What no. the fuck are we celebrating except someone's ego? That's it. That is absolutely it. One final point. I know we're almost out of time. Soldiers don't enjoy parades either. Nope. Soldiers don't we enjoy hate parades. Them. We soldiers hate, hate them. parades because we have to practice, like you said, 19 times out in the sun. It sucks. And that's the end of the five-minute rant. We hope you've enjoyed it. <laughs> Not bad. Actually, we held up to the time pretty well. Mm -hmm. We could have done 25 minutes. Yes. No, we could have cussed about that a lot longer. And I, I, One thing, little thing, I could not believe how many former presidents have actually had those kind of parades for us. It hasn't been very many. We had one after World War II. Um, we didn't have any in response to Vietnam, thank God. Um, but, yeah, it, it's just gross. Yeah. So... 
My last headline for today is from the New York Review of Books, which is another good source. They actually have long-form articles there. Sometimes they're in the form of book reviews. Sometimes they're just like analyses of what's going on in the world. They're really solid because they average between two and 4,000 words. Almost everything you find on the internet these days is like 800 to 1,000 words. So it's just like a quick burst op-ed. That's good. I write that stuff sometimes because they make me. But I really prefer like a well-developed thesis. So check it out. But Charlie Savage wrote this. He called it Controlling the Chief, and he reviews a book by Mark Perry, which I'm going to read, called Pentagon's Wars. Bottom line is it's all about how presidents since basically 2001 have dealt with their senior military officers and how sometimes the presidents have kind of had their way and sometimes the military officers have pushed back. I'm not going to go through a whole analysis of the book, but what I am going to do is just talk about a few key points that jumped out at me. You know um, – one of the things that Perry essentially is arguing is that for the most part, he's not impressed with the generals. He thinks that most generals have been uh, yes men who've essentially gone along with whatever the presidents have come up with for the last three administrations and haven't pushed back enough and said, hey, this doesn't make sense. You're using the army wrong. You're using the Navy wrong. We can't accomplish all that all this with the resources we have. The quote that I really liked is uh, the, the author says, uh, Perry's uh, portrayal of many of the most important Pentagon leaders of the past generation may be disturbing. He deplores the, quote, professional and inbred military establishment, writing that all too often three and four star officers have been weak, ego driven and self-promoting, while rarely independent and outspoken enough to stand up to president. I agree. There's been some really great guys. And, and this isn't about just slamming the military or slamming the government. Don't get that impression. I'll, so in order to show that, I'll tell you who I really like, Martin Dempsey. Martin Dempsey was the four-star general in charge of the army until basically up until the end of the – almost to the end of the Obama administration. Taught English at West Point. Is known to have a few beers, jump up on a table and recite limericks sometimes that he makes up. He's like this little Irish guy and he's awesome and he's a thinker. He like studies philosophy. And he wasn't afraid to stand up and tell the Obama administration when they were thinking about going into Syria, he said, look, we can do it and we'll do anything you order us to do. Here are all my concerns about it. Here's the problems. And here's why I think it's risky. And he went in front of Congress and the important armed services committees and he said it. Good for him. But most generals are yes men. Why do I think that is? Same reason most colonels are yes men. And I think you'll probably agree with this with maybe even most sergeants at certain levels when they get to a certain level. The military positively reinforces can-do positivism. They positively reinforce through promotions and medals the people who do what their boss wants and mind meld with their boss so they never have to have a disagreement. There was an, uh, this really awesome colonel. His name was uh, Paul Yangling teaches like high school now, I think, like high school history, like he's retired, good for him. He wrote an article when the Iraq war was failing, arguing that the generals just lacked the strategic insight to realize, A, that the war wasn't working, and B, that it probably wasn't worth fighting. And he said, the way, no one ever gets punished for poor generalship. And the, the final conclusion to his argument, which he got in some trouble for, he said, as it stands today, a private who loses his rifle stands to get in more trouble than a general who loses a war. Absolutely. Hell, yes, that's true. It's still true. If we have this parade that President Trump wants, I think 
that all the generals who lost the last three wars should have to lead the parade, you know? Not because I think they're bad guys, but because if we're going to celebrate defeat, if we're going to celebrate ties or draws, then, like, let's call it like it is. Yep. We could lead off with Tommy Franks, who didn't have a plan for Iraq after the occupation. Yay, Tommy Franks. Then we could have Petraeus. Oh, he's the one that sold us the surge because it's going to fix everything. Oh, it didn't work. That's okay. We'll promote him to CIA director. Yay. Here comes Stan McChrystal, the Rolling Stone bad boy who thought he could apply the Iraq lessons to Afghanistan. Totally different country. Didn't work. Yay. Right? That's how they should have to do it. All this is ironic because the very thing that Mark Savage says and, and that Perry, who actually wrote the book, says, or Charlie Savage and, and, and Mark Perry, the very thing he, he can kind of criticize about the generals, that they're yes men who don't give their professional advice and don't push back. I wonder what McMaster, our current national security advisor, thinks of all that. Here's why I say that. McMaster wrote a book, which was his PhD dissertation called Dereliction of Duty, all about how, in his opinion, I think rightfully, the Joint Chiefs of Staff failed the United States Army and failed the United States by not telling Johnson that the Vietnam War wasn't working and wasn't going to work. I don't agree with all of McMaster's conclusions in the book, but I agree with his general premise. Now McMaster sits at the top of the Trump administration. Is he going to push back? So far, it doesn't seem like it. So far, it seems like he's just another interventionist who's going to get us involved in one more war after another. I, I just wonder what McMaster thinks when he reads a book like this, and does he recognize his own flaws in it? Because I think McMaster is salvageable. I think McMaster is brilliant. I think he's a good writer. I think he's a thinker. I agree with almost none of his conclusions about foreign policy so far. But I think he is, I hope, salvageable. I hope he's a guy that can critically think and has the potential to be better than he is. I'm not so sure about some of the other generals atop this administration. Take Kelly, who is now the White House Chief of Staff, which, oh, by the way, is the most political job in Washington. And the fact that a general is doing it makes me nervous, okay, because, like, that's not their role. And I know he's retired, but he is a political operative now. This guy who used to work for Mattis, okay, This it is an inbred institution, guys, like it just is. The generals all know each other. Oh, guess what? They pick each other. That's how you get promoted to the general. A group of generals get in a room, they literally like smoke cigars and decide who from the colonels is going to become one of the Jedi just like them. I mean, it's a very inbred group, okay? <laughs> and all their dads are fucking generals too. Like, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little, but this is the nature of military service. It's, it's the Praetorian Guard folks. It's not the Republic's militia anymore. And you're not exaggerating that much. You know, that's the sick part. I taught at West Point, and uh, I'd go around the class on the first day, and I'd say, hey, where are you all from? And I'd have a class of like 12, five or six of them. You know what they would answer? Well, I'm not really from anywhere. You know, I moved around a lot. And I'd say, oh, why is that? I knew the answer. Oh, my dad is a colonel. Oh, my dad's sergeant major, which is rare, actually. It's usually a colonel. Uh, and they're not from anywhere because they're all military brats. Nothing wrong with that. My kids are military brats, you know. Uh, I'll probably spend the rest of my life uh, paying for their therapy and apologizing to them for it. But there's nothing wrong with being a military brat. What I'm saying is it's an inbred institution. I'm not sure that's, that's healthy. But last thing about Kelly. Uh, supposedly a draft executive order comes to his desk that's going to like rework detainee policy. And Kelly won't even show it to Trump. This is recently. Sends it back down to the lower level staffers with like, you know, basically a chastisement saying uh, fix the language because I want the language to lay the groundwork for, for keeping Guantanamo open and putting it to wider use. And I'm just thinking, couldn't we put Martin Dempsey 
in that job, if we had to put a general, which we shouldn't have, couldn't we have a thinker who like recites limericks and, and, and taught English literature who could be a little more reflective than let's send more folks to Guantanamo? Really, Kelly? Really, General Kelly? Like, that's the level of your thinking? Point I make by bringing that up is this. So far, I'm not happy with the three generals that are at the top of the Trump administration. So far, I don't think they're pointing him in the right direction. I don't think that they're stopping him from doing anything too crazy. Maybe they are, and we don't know, because who knows, right? But everyone keeps saying that they're the big boys in the room. That's the phrase we keep hearing. Oh, the adults in the room, Mattis, McMaster, Kelly. I hope they are. I, I, I've met McMaster. I've listened to him talk. He used to visit West Point when I was there um, teaching, and he's a bright guy. I just I hope they do better. And I think we, the American people, deserve better from our generals, who are now also our politicians, than what Kelly's giving us, which is more Guantanamo, maybe more torture, and more failure. So anyway, I'll leave it at that. But the bottom line is the number of generals at the top of the administration makes me nervous. And if they're going to be up there, let's at least pick the right ones. And I'm not so sure we have. Absolutely. I, I, I Seeing so many little different tidbits these days about the chance of a big new war, of a big new somewhere, you know, if it's North Korea, if it's Iran, if it's Syria, you know, and, and I just keep thinking about, you know, back in back in 04, just how how big it was and how can the machine actually get any bigger? And it can, you know, we we we. You know, we didn't see the mobilization that was, what, a, a fifth or so of what they did in Vietnam, of all the guys that got back and forth from Vietnam. I can't imagine what the next thing is going to be. It, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified. I really am. It's, it's yeah. This is, the, this yeah. is the crisis of military leadership come home. Absolutely. It is. I don't know. Part of me thinks that when you... When war becomes the normal and a general spends his entire career from the rank of major to the rank of four-star general fighting unwinnable wars, I mean, war becomes normal. So you bring them up to be politicians, and what are they going to call for? The only Every problem they see, since they only have a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. It's not even their fault. These poor guys who are real – they're real people. Look, I criticize them, but they're real people with real families. McMaster has probably spent six years – away from home since 2001. That's a minimum. Like just doing the math on the jobs he's had and I've like followed his career a little bit because I'm a dork. I think he spent at least six years in Iraq and Afghanistan. And uh, when that becomes the new normal, I'm not sure if it warps your mind. I'm not sure if it makes you think that the military solution is the is the only solution in the kit bag. That's the only uh, kind of, you know, arrow in the, uh, in the sack. You know, it makes me nervous. Um, I don't like it. Uh, Admiral Mike Mullen, who I also have a lot of respect for, used to work for Obama. He's like spoken out against this. In fact, I'll just read one last quote before we move on. He said, um, how did we get to, he made a speech at the U.S. Naval Institute. He's retired now. He said, how do we get to a point here in our system where we are depending on retired generals for the stability of the system? I have been in too many countries globally where the generals, if you will, gave great comfort to their citizens. That is not supposed to be the United States of America. That's coming from four-star admiral who was the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And he's saying, look, when the people only trust the generals, the republic is in peril. Remember what I just said? The republic is in peril. I'm not – even if you put the best three generals in the world at the top of the government, it's not supposed to be that way, guys. It's not. I mean we've had generals who went to West Point before. We've had military guys in charge before, Grant, Eisenhower, et cetera. 
But very rarely have we had so many so high up in the ranks. The SecDef, the National Security Advisor, the uh, the Chief of Staff, who was the Secretary of Homeland Security. I mean, Pompeo is a vet. Uh, I'm not saying I don't want vets in these positions. I'm just saying, man, I don't know. If all we trust is generals, then where have we gone wrong? Uh, we need to be a different country than that. Plus, by the way, these generals aren't doing us any service right now from what I can tell. No. No, they're not. Thank you for joining us today. Please come join the conversation at www.fortressonahill.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Fortress on a Hill or on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Fortress on a Hill. We want to hear from our listeners about the topics and issues pertinent to America's military and veteran communities. And last but certainly not least, analyze your news and its sources very closely. Verify everything you read. And remember that no one, no matter how powerful, are above criticism, especially those with the power to send others into harm's way. We'll see you next time.